Matthew chapter 5, 33 to the end. Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfil to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply, yes or no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you, Robin. Keep your Bibles open there if you've gone with you, or your phones or whatever. You can check what I'm saying is there. Well, have you been watching the Winter Olympics? Anyone? No? Oh, come on. I mean, the athletes on there, they're amazing. I mean, snowboarding. I mean, I struggled to put up an ironing board without losing a finger. Never mind strapping my feet to a board and plummeting down a mountain. And ice skating. Have you tried ice skating? You spend most of the time, you always leave with a wet bum because you spend most of your time falling flat on it. Every time the Olympics come round, there's always somebody on social media who raises the idea of having a normal person in the competition as well, as like a reference point for the rest of us, so we can see just how amazing these athletes are. And I suppose the closest we got um, to that was Eddie the Eagle Edwards back in 88, whose only qualification for taking part was that he was brave enough to to have a go. Um, He came last, and his score was less than half of that of the next, next worst person. But as we hear Jesus' words today, and and the things we looked at last week, um, last week we looked at anger and lust, it can feel like Jesus is calling us to this sort of Olympic champion level goodness. And we don't need him to put an ordinary person into what he says for a sort of base level comparison. Well, because we find ourselves comparing our, our own character to his demands, don't we? Surely it's sort of pie in the sky to think anyone could reach these gold medal standards that Jesus outlays here. Or is it? The thing is, we we still watch the Olympics and enjoy it. And some people who are in it now watched it when they were kids, were inspired to have a go, and now are beating their heroes at it. 
Just in case you missed last week, we need to do a quick recap of where we're up to so that you don't switch off in despair. You know, if you don't, this word from Jesus is for the Eddie Edwards amongst us. It is for ordinary, everyday believers. Remember, this sermon Jesus is giving to his disciples, and with great crowds, crowds listening in as well, it began with promises that the people who are blessed, favored by God, are those those living the good life, blessed people are the ones who know that they're hopelessly lost and fall far short of these standards. So if you know that, you're blessed. Those who are humble enough to go to God empty-handed for rescue and mercy, knowing that we don't deserve that. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness was the promise. Those who, in response to God's grace, want to be perfect for him. Blessed because the promise is we will be filled with righteousness. So the, the life Jesus describes here, he holds up to us for two reasons. To bring us to our knees, but also to spur us on to new heights. So we can see how far short of who God wants us to be we fall. Not to weigh us down with guilt, but so that we turn to Jesus to save us. So we give up on depending on ourselves, on our own self-righteousness, and depend on his righteousness instead. So Jesus' teaching brings us to our knees, and at the same time, Jesus' teaching really attracts us. More than that, I think it resonates with us. At some deep level, we know that this is who we are made to be. This is how things should be. And like future Olympians catching the dream for the first time, Jesus' teaching gives us clear goals to strive for in his strength, with his help, and with his example to follow. So all I have to say, stay tuned as we go through and apply Jesus' teaching practically. Because every one of us here and every one of you watching online will find that we've crashed out in the first qualifying heat in some respect or other with what we look at. But that's not the end of our story. So last week, we looked at murder and adultery. That was nice. This week, talk straight, resist revenge, Love perfectly. It's our sort of three sections. Talk straight, resist revenge, love perfectly. So last week we saw how one function of the law has always been to drive us to God by exposing our great need for him. Today we'll see another function of the law as Jesus once again sort of amps the law up, turns it up to 11 Another function of the law has always been, it shows us what God is like. It tells us about his character. The law shows us what's on his heart. And Jesus fleshing this out for us shows that he has that same heart. It's God the Son. So the law, this is going to show us what God is like, tell us about his character. First then, talk straight. Jesus tells us to say what we mean and mean what we say. Say what we mean and mean what we say. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. 
And that, what Jesus says there, summarizes well several Old Testament passages about oath swearing. So here's an example, Numbers 30, verse 2. When a man takes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So swearing an oath was basically asking God to observe a vow being made and often swearing by something important. Now, generally in this sermon, when Jesus is quoting, well, in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is quoting scripture directly, he says, it is written. But when, when he says this formula, you have heard, but I tell you, you have heard, but I tell you, that's the phrase Jesus uses when he's correcting the wrong interpretation of the law by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So, you have heard, um, keep, keep your oath. Verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Not naturally, anyway. So Jesus is talking about how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had been interpreting these commands. They'd come up with a system where if you'd sworn an oath in one particular kind of way or by a particular thing, well, that wasn't quite as binding and you'd get away with wriggling out of that oath. And the Pharisees, what they'd done is they'd shifted the sin, the law, about to being about not profaning God's name and the oath itself became a side issue. So they've done what lots of people do. They've kind of taken something true and used that to muddy the waters and complicate a simple thing so as to miss the principle. And all of this so that they could wriggle out of keeping promises that they'd made and still call themselves righteous. But Jesus debunks all this. He says, what a load of rubbish. He says, what you swear by is irrelevant. In fact, whatever you swear by great or small, it all belongs to God anyway. So you can't say, look, if I I break this promise, God, I'm going to give you everything I have. Everything, including your hair, and most of you are richer than me, already belongs to God. So don't waste your breath swearing by something or someone. It doesn't in reality make it any more solemn or weighty even if it makes us feel better about it. Verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that, beyond this, comes from the evil one. Swearing an oath, in the end, isn't about being truthful. When you think about it, swearing an oath is actually about our deceitfulness. It's saying, look, I know I don't normally keep my promises all that well, But this time, I really mean it. If you mean it, you don't need to swear by it. If you do need to swear, well, that's from the devil, the father of lies, because you aren't really sure that you mean it. So Jesus calls us just simple integrity. Yes means yes, no means no. So putting it into practice, this means that we don't say one thing but do another. So here's, here's one that I've done recently. 
I'll get back to you. I'll see you soon. How about this one? I'll pray for you. We've all done it, haven't we? These days when we're in a can and it's not really weird, I pray for you there and then. So I know I'm going to keep that promise. So it means not saying one thing but doing another. It means not saying one thing but thinking another. Oh yeah, I'm fine. When really you're struggling and need help. No problem. Actually, I've got lots of problems with it. See, swearing an oath in the Old Testament was about asking God to witness you making the promise. And Jesus' point is, all creation is God's, and he's always watching. So who we are when no one is looking should be the same as when we know the person we care most about watching us is looking. So we need to be honest. Now, being honest is not an excuse just to be rude. Because we've all met that person, haven't we, say it. They proudly declare, oh, I just tell it like it is me. I don't, I don't care if they'll like me or not. I don't hold back. They can like it or lump it. As if a lack of care is justified by being truthful. Actually, they're just being irritable or proud. Because we need to speak the truth in love. If you're speaking the truth at the wrong time, in the wrong way, to the wrong person, well, that shows you aren't really concerned about whether the truth gets through or not. You're just trying to impress yourself. So just speak plainly, but lovingly, knowing that all your yeses and noes are always observed by God. So what does this bit of the law, if you like, show us about God? It shows us that he loves the truth and he hates lies. So we care about being truthful because God cares about it. The gospel writer John tells us Jesus himself came from the Father full of grace and truth. And Jesus' teaching shows us that God is always with us, sees all we do, hears all we say, and really cares about it. So say what you mean and mean what you say. Straight talking. So next, resist revenge. Resist revenge. So Jesus says we shouldn't conduct our personal relationships as if we were taking people to court. Rather, to use an old-fashioned phrase, we should conduct our personal relationships as if we are courting them. So verse 38, you've heard it said that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is from the Bible. It's in Exodus 21. But it's very clearly instructions for the judges. So for applying the law when it got as far as going to court. 
not for how we are to conduct day-to-day relationships. So it was designed to make sure that when things did go wrong, the punishment fit the crime and to restrain people from overdoing it in seeking retribution and revenge. So that kind of tit for tat didn't escalate. You know, you've seen it in every kid's fight ever. He hit me. Well, he hit me first. That was just a little push. Well, he punched me on the face. It escalates left to our own devices. So the law kept things simple. You just got like for like or the equivalent financial compensation, and then it was all over. Everyone could move on. It was a good law. But once again, the Pharisees had taken a law designed to limit and mitigate against sin and turned it into a command that led to sin. So instead of limiting revenge in court, they had applied it to personal relationships to demand revenge, even though that same law strictly forbids that. So Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We have to read the Bible carefully and read all the bits about what it says about all the things we're thinking about. See, Jesus isn't against the idea of people getting just desserts. He's not saying forget any kind of consequences or punishment. He's got lots to say about a coming day of judgment. But here Jesus is saying this principle from the courtroom isn't how we should do personal relationships. And we can see that from the small-scale man-to-man examples he uses. So verse 39. So an insulting derogatory slap to the cheek. He says, literally, take it on the chin. We have to say, Jesus' example is the two blokes of similar standing, and it's more of an insult gesture. This is not excusing abusive violence in any way. Verse 40, if someone wants to argue about property, well, the relationship trumps the argument. Just give them an extra shirt. Verse 41, going the extra mile, a phrase we still use today. So Roman legionaries apparently could rub in that they occupied Israel by demanding citizens carry their pack for a mile. Jesus says, don't do that begrudgingly. Offer to go an extra mile. And don't jump to excuses not to give all end. Be generous. So this principle, it's not about being a doormat. Jesus himself stood up to the Pharisees and teach the law when needed. And Jesus isn't saying don't resist anything. He resisted temptation and evil in the desert. We must resist evil. But not the evil person. So we're not to condone what an evil person does or pretend that it's good. And we must be careful not to join in or facilitate unrighteousness. So there is a point where we should call the police. There is a point where we should stand up to an abusive pattern or behavior, pattern of behavior. But a person's evil behavior, evil, is not an excuse for us to seek revenge or to fail to be generous. So let's not make the exceptions make us forget the rule of loving so strongly that we remain in control and steadfastly refuse to retaliate. 
of doing what is most loving for the other person, even if they don't deserve it, even if it's costly to us. We don't resist revenge because there isn't any revenge. It's just that it belongs to God. He will ensure that justice is done. And knowing that, trusting God with that, means we aren't left trying to win every battle. We're not trying to come out on top in every dispute. Because for most things, who cares? When we know we're secure in Jesus, we no longer have to cling to rights. He's already won, so we don't have to. So Jesus is showing us here that God is generous, not just where it is deserved, but even where that generosity definitely isn't deserved. And we see this really clearly in Jesus. From 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no, sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So resist revenge. Finally, Love perfectly. Jesus tells us to love the ones who are hardest to love. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's just the aircon. You've heard it said that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, no, actually, that's not what it says. The Pharisees have got this dead wrong here. And again, I have to be careful to read what the Bible actually says. So the Pharisees have taken the context um, out of Leviticus 19, verse 17. So this addresses how fellow Israelites should, should treat each other. It says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So they've taken that and concluded from that, well, I have to love my Israelite neighbor And that means I have to hate everybody else. If he's not an Israelite, he's not my neighbor, I shouldn't love him. Even though, if they just open the scroll out a few verses more to verse 34, he says, the foreigner residing amongst you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. So Jesus corrects this wrong teaching, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So our example for loving our enemies is God's common grace. That is, God provides the basics for life without discriminating between those who love him and those who hate him. God is kind to both. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? I don't know if you've seen this on the telly or movies. Cockneys. 
people from the east end of London. They're always portrayed. Have you watched any movie or documentary about them? They're always going about family. You know, you've got to stick by your family. You get it in mafia movies as well, don't you? Your blood runs thicker than water. You're always loyal to your family. And they make a big song and dance about this. And I want to say, well, yeah. What do you want? A round of applause? It seems to me a basic component of being in a family is that you look after them, that you care for one another. Jesus says, loving the people you're supposed to love, well, big wow, round of applause, well done. But Jesus flips it. Don't just love those you were supposed to. Love those who you, re- who you reckon you're supposed to hate. Love people in the cases where not only is there nothing in it for you, actually it's even going to cost you dearly. Because that is how God loves us. He didn't need to create us. It was not like he was lonely. He didn't need to create us in the first place. He just wanted us to share in his love. And then we rejected that love, and we still, each in our own way, still reject him today. And yet he still loves us. He's so committed to loving us, he gives up his only son, Jesus, to die in our place so we can be forgiven. All whilst we're still his enemies. Romans uh, 5 verse 10, why were we God's enemies? We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So this is the perfect love that we're called to. Verse 48, be perfect therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus can't mean have sinless perfection in this life. I mean, he's already said that we're blessed when we know we haven't got sinless perfection. He means we're to love as God loves, just because that is what God is like. Love because that's who God is, regardless of what the person to be loved is like. So we might become victims of our enemies. We might become victims of persecution. But these high standards Jesus holds up for us shows us that there's plenty we do ourselves to make ourselves enemies of others and enemies of God. Fighting through life with a heart that begins with self-righteousness, if we think it all depends on us, well, like the Pharisees, we'll do anything to shore ourselves up and convince ourselves we're in the right. But if our starting point is humbly coming from a place of spiritual poverty, of relying on Jesus to make us right, well, that frees us up to love perfectly like God does. So we're less angry because we've climbed down off our high horse. We clean up our thought life and become more honest as we welcome God's presence and draw near to him through Jesus. We let go of our rights as we love and follow Jesus. Jesus, who was the genuinely most entitled human there will ever be, yet let go of those rights to submit himself to the cross to save us. 
as we humbly accept that without God's grace, we'd be at least as bad as our enemies, well, that really helps us to love them. Matthew 5, verse 6 again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who read this in on the mount and want to be like that. And pray to God to help them be like that. Because we'll start getting there bit by bit and Jesus will perfect us in the end. This Olympic gold medal godliness, we can get closer and closer to it as we depend on Jesus. And when he returns, he will perfect us and his gold medal status given to us by sheer grace. So let's let this Sermon on the Mount from Jesus bumpers back down, flat on our backsides on the ice, getting a wet bum, but also help us soar to new heights. Let's pray. Lord God, we are challenged and inspired by Jesus' words here. We long to be uh, this beautiful person he describes. We long to be like him. Please help us to not trust in our own righteousness, but to trust in him. And with that, knowing that grace, spur us on to be ever more like Jesus. And please help us in that. We think of our enemies now, the person who's getting our goat most at the, at the moment. And we ask you to bless that person. We ask you to help us love them. Amen.